Hey everyone, welcome back to the Badass Podcast, Batman the Animated Series show podcast where we talk about Batman the Animated Series, or in this case, the new Batman, new adventures, the Batman and Robin, new Batman adventures. That's not hmm. as catchy to say, and it doesn't, or here, and it doesn't form a nice, uh, uh, is it, is it acronym or anagram? I think it's acronym, B-A-T-T-A-S-S, and spells a word that's this an acronym. A really great opening so far, Clay. This is amazing. You know, <laughs> I'm just trying to get the specifics down, so if you're a new listener, you understand what you're in for, and what you're in for... Yeah is an hour talking Chaos. <laughs> about Batman. Anyway, uh, my name is Clay McCormick, and with me as always is Sean Murphy. How you doing, Sean? Man, I tried so hard not to drink too much last night when I went out, and uh, as always, it just gets away from me, you know? Yeah, I could tell by the text that you sent our text chain at 2.30, <laughs> 3 o'clock in the morning that I won't repeat on air. <laughs> I don't remember what I said. I'm sure it was clever and PC. No, it was neither of those things. <laughs> Usually, uh, you guys are the night hawks, night, night owls, rather. Mm-hmm. I go to bed at midnight and I get up at seven. Like, I've been pretty regular. And uh, two of you have kids now, so you're up with me normally. And two of you are still without children and sleep in like most artists do, mm-hmm. work late, whatever it is. So mm-hmm. I took a chance maybe two of you were awake. <laughs> No, I fell asleep pretty early on the couch last night. So, yeah. Anyway, now, oh, now who's talking about stuff everybody wants to hear is whether or not we fall asleep <laughs> on the couch or went got, got drinking. Um, we're going to be talking about two episodes today. As always, we've got one where two villains make a return, and one where we have a new villain appearing for the first time on the show. We're mm-hmm. doing "Love Is a Croc" and "Torch Song," so we're going to take a quick break and we'll jump into "Love Is a Croc." Love is a Croc, written by Steve Gerber, directed by Butch Luchik. Luchik, that's a name I don't know. Yeah, uh, he's shown up a couple times, uh, but he's I don't I don't see his name as 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 often as some other people. Uh, yeah. In this one, Baby Doll becomes enamored. Ooh, Baby Doll becomes enamored of Killer Croc, and the pair forms a very unlikely yet very successful criminal duo. However, mm-hmm. their partnership soon falls apart. When Baby Doll learns that Croc is only using her to further his own criminal career, mm. um, I'm really conflicted yeah. about this episode because <laughs> which, for which reason? Pick a reason. I think there's a really great story in here, but they don't do anything with it. Mm-hmm. Like the the idea of um, Baby Doll finding a a. Uh, uh, a kindred spirit in Killer Croc is really fun and I think mm-hmm. could be a, a really interesting setup if maybe there was actually like a relationship there and it wasn't just Croc being like an abusive boyfriend and Baby Doll being a manipulative yeah. girlfriend. <laughs> if, yeah. if they're even like romantically involved, which as Batman says when Batgirl questions it, I don't want to know. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's another one that ends very abruptly. I it ends. They're trying yeah. to sh- another thing where they're trying to shut down a nuclear explosion from happening. I don't even know mm-hmm. if they do that because it ends so abruptly. Well, Batman lets Barb he lets Batgirl do it, and he's like, "Are you able to do that? Good." Well, as we and he just sort of walks away. As as we <laughs> as we learned from uh, from the first time that they did this plot element, Barbara's just going to look at it for a few minutes and then pull all the wires out and hope that works. <laughs> it um, does. 
yeah, yeah. it did in the first did the first time it, as she says she brings that attitude to it in this one because she's <laughs> batman says do you think you could do this and she goes well we'll find out in a minute and after that <laughs> we won't care so yeah i did i had to rewind to to re-listen to what the hell she said like i in a minute you either won't know or won't care yeah and it's like he won't care what do you what it, it means they'll be dead <laughs> yeah i know yeah oh okay i mean yeah i guess i didn't really I, that wasn't a very smooth line yeah me. it's just either way it's it's uh it, <laughs> i feel like she should be taking it a little more seriously um yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then yeah that they we don't even find out if she I don't think we find out if she successfully diffuses the atomic bomb that's going to happen. I assume. I guess we can assume that they do. Um, yeah. I mean, if there's another episode next week, then yeah, they probably took care of the bomb. Right. Right. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's just. I don't know. I don't. What, what What do you think about this? It's It's weird. Um, yeah. I applaud you for seeing the potential here. Uh, I don't. I, I, I'm, I, ugh. I, I want to be in the pitch meeting when they're like, let's take the two most unlikely characters who have nothing in common and let's make them get together and let's imply like a kind of a weird romance that's sort of icky. Like they, they know, they draw attention to the fact that this is weird. I mean, Batman and Batgirl obviously <laughs> talk about it. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes this episode is trying to be like the first baby doll, which I think is like, for me, one of my top ten mm. um, episodes in the series, shockingly, because like if you read that idea to me, I would think this is gonna suck. But in the last moment when Batman has uh, empathy for her and puts his hand on her head, that's such a beautiful moment. And they sort of try to recreate that in this one, but like you said, it's too quick and too cold. And uh, it, the episode wants you to feel some kind of sadness for her again, for struggling to put together a new family, just like on TV or whatever, you know. Yeah, but for me, it's just very cringy at the end because I'm like, no, I'm not buying what you're doing. I don't feel it like you made me feel it the first time around. Yeah, it's also exceptionally weird because when she gets together with Croc, she basically reverts entirely to the baby doll persona. It's so gross! I it, hate when it, chicks do that, especially if they look like five year olds. Uh, yeah, but it's but, but you know it's just it's like she's. Her character is that she's using that as a as a uh, a smokescreen because she's sick of it it disarms people and she's sick of people taking advantage of her. You would think that if she's like with this other person who she feels she could be herself with, she wouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. And the fact that she does stay in that persona feels weird and just kind of gross. And uh, Croc isn't really bringing anything to the table here uh, as far as a character or design. We should talk about his design. Te- yeah. Terrible design. Uh, yeah. It's so boring. Right? It's so, it's so obvious. Like I know let's make him green because alligators are green. Yeah. Yep. Fucking brilliant. You're fired. Get out of the moon. Get out of the meeting. His, his first design was so great. Cause he was, you know, yeah. just, just uh weird enough looking. Yeah without going too over the top and this one is green and a very like yeah. all things considered a normal looking face and he's smarter too like he right. used to yeah. be a dumbass and now he's just a dick who goes out late <laughs> yeah and like hits, I, and hits women yeah yes i feel like i feel like this story would work much better with the older version of killer croc because yeah, i feel like you yeah. could almost get remember the episode where he goes runs in, into the woods and ends up shacking yeah, up yeah, with yeah. the circus people yeah i feel like you could get a little bit of that energy out of it if it's that 
older version of Croc and a version yeah. of Baby Doll who's like just she sees a kindred spirit in this other outcast and she's trying to make yeah. this life with him and maybe he's kind of into it maybe he's not there's yeah. no reluctance from him in this it's just him being an asshole yeah yeah i think um you're right if he was the old version the older version was he was dumb but he had a bit of empathy yeah there was a little bit of sadness you know especially with the circus episode where he's in the woods or whatever he's mm-hmm. like you know i guess i was just being myself there's kind of a there's a hint of sadness there you know it's not too big but I feel like if you had that version of Clock, this might have worked better. And I think to spark off this so-called romance, I would have had him save her accidentally or something. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, rather than her seeing this on TV. And by the way, live court TV in Gotham of this guy breaking out is just—I don't know—like <laughs> C-SPAN <laughs> with Killer Croc. You know? <laughs> hey, I would get more. It would get more eyeballs on C-SPAN. That's true. You know what? I I would watch that. If, ever, if during the during during the Congress proceedings at two o'clock yeah. in the afternoon, just the penguin yeah. showed up or something, it was basically like Judge Judy, but all the people there are cosplayers who committed crimes, and they have to be tried while Sean, they're dressed up. Still, Sean, you know? Sean, don't give these. It's it's such a good idea for a web show. Don't <laughs> give that idea away. How yeah. has nobody done that? That's that's yeah. a fantastic idea. <laughs> Has someone done it? I don't think are you, so. Are you shitting me? No, oh, yeah. no, I don't think I've never seen it before. It just seems like a great idea for like a short, yeah. a web short series of of uh, yeah, cr- it's cheap to do. You could have a like, it could be like a Adult Swim type thing, like little robot chicken style, super easy to animate. You don't have to do walking and running cycles. There's no action explosions. It's just or I mean Judge Judy with cosplayers. Yeah, just <laughs> act, use live action, and so you get the people in the costumes and stuff. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Well, let's do it. Let's quit this right now. Enough of Batman. That's true. We do have enough of a lead on this that we could get ahead of it before this episode comes out. Anyway, well, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. There's, there's no. It seems like I, I was really wondering if we had turned a corner with with this one and the last one because uh, uh, the growing pains with uh, the Clayface girl. Was yeah. the first one we were like, oh, this feels like old, the anime Batman the animated series. It's got that heart to it. It's got that sad pathos to it. And so when this yeah. one started, and I liked that first scene with Baby Doll working at a, as a receptionist at a uh, uh, hotel. Uh, yeah, that was cool. Yeah, the guy stuff... dresses uh, Norman Lear. Oh really? Yeah. Well, with the hat, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought that stuff was good. I thought the lead up was good. I thought her, you know, it's kind of. It's very random for her to just see him on the TV, as you're saying, and like kind of fall in love or yeah. whatever. But I was thinking, oh, maybe this is going to be another one that has that heart from the original series, but it just doesn't. Yeah. And one day I'm going to pitch to DC. Uh, I want to do a one shots comic series based on these episodes, mm-hmm. and we'll do like Caesar series one, two, three, four. And I'm going to pick artists who I don't like and <laughs> give them episodes like this. <laughs> Hey, well, see, this is the kind of episode that I would want to write because it is one of those episodes where I feel like it's in there. You just gotta, you just gotta strip it away and remold it a bit, and I think you get a really good episode out of this. Mm, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just it's it doesn't have the heart that I think it wants to have. Uh, mm-hmm. This it's too odd to pull off. Like your brain is doing a record scratch the whole time. 
I can't really move on to feeling sad for her because my brain is still doing a record scratch. Yeah, you know? yeah, and there's just no, there's no kindness in their quote unquote relationship to, for you to yeah. like grasp grasp onto. Like if they yeah. if they if they're like cute together in a weird way, yeah. then at least yeah. you, your brain can kind of go, okay, I can see, I'm I can sympathize with this, but they're not. <laughs> yeah. They're just creepy. Yeah, I uh, I threw in a joke about this in White Knight a few times. Um, I think it's the first volume where uh, somebody asks if you think Croc is the big spoon or the little spoon, <laughs> meaning when you're in bed snuggling, like is she kind of curled up behind him or vice versa? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, the other character responds like, I don't want to think about it. <laughs> Which, yeah. So basically I rip this off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Put it on the list. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, I'm not really sure what else to really tell. I, the, I, it's, you can tell because we're finding things hard things to talk about here. Yeah. Normally we're very inspired by these things, and this one's like, nope. It's <laughs> it's interesting because especially with these two episodes back to back, I think the next one feels a lot more like a, an older TAS episode. And yeah. it's one of those situations where I was watching this one thinking like, man, how did they not get more story out of this? I know it's only a half an hour, but think of how many great episodes yeah. that have only been a half an hour or, you know, think of other shows that have done great stuff in a half an hour. Like, uh, there's yeah. so much in every episode of Rick and Morty and it's just, it's the same length, but it, this just oh feels God, so yeah. empty. And Rick and Morty, <laughs> it stretches time. It's amazing how much they cram into each episode. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> unbelievable. And, Watching yeah. the next one, it's like, okay, well, this one feels more like they used the space that they had to kind of tell an interesting story. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, th- this I'm, I'm really kind of shocked at how much of a dud this is for me. Because like I was, yeah. as I was watching it, I was like, you know, I don't even really know if I want to draw anything from this because it's kind of it's kind of boring. So I did. I managed to find one thing that I piqued my interest. Um, you have a scene where Batman and Batgirl go into their lair and they set off an explosive mm-hmm. and they jump underwater and there's a shot looking up at them underwater through the water through the surface you can see fire. Mm. So you get like you know it's a kind of a classic action movie shot of the the hero swimming as he's just you know jumped out of the explosion and swam away. But I thought how would I draw that in yeah, a comic? That's a really good I've question. Got, I've got tricks for water like water Especially when they're just floating around, it's just you're drawing a guy flying and there's bubbles around his face. If there's ripples on the surface, that's another texture. But fire beyond the textured surface, that's a tough one. I've never drawn that before. I don't even know what I would do, honestly. Yeah, I feel like you could... It feels like one of those things where you could work it to death or and realize the solution is probably a lot simpler than you think. You know, like, yeah. w- would it work if it was just... You know, if 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 you've got the storytelling leading into him jumping into the water, yeah. does the shot underwater really need to be more than just like bubbles yeah. and a silhouette with just yeah. orange in the background? You know, to to signify yeah. the fire over the top. I don't know, but I'm sure you could get I, really in in the weeds yeah. on it. I would put an object piercing the water, mm-hmm. so you can see where the water line is. Yeah, um, and I would uh, have debris like recognizable chunks of like bricks for example hitting the water so you've got a few objects above them rippling because you your brain will know oh that's a brick okay i know what a brick looks like oh it's hitting this weird line that's making circles oh that's water that's the surface of the water i think that's what you, even without color you could probably convey that mm-hmm. but again how do you do the next step which is fire 
I think you just need to rely on the colorist, and yeah. I hate having to rely on the colorist <laughs> for anything. <laughs> I like to try to do as much as I can in-house, sure. as it were. But yeah, I, that might be me calling the colorist and be like, can you help me? I can't draw fire and water at the same time. <laughs> you don't have to feel sad about it. It's a team sport here. I know. I'm just, I try to be old school and uh, I just hate, yeah, even like rain effects. I just try to draw it with actually drawing lines and not have the colorist go in with a layer of water. Uh, only one time I had to do that in Tokyo Ghost and I hated it. I didn't like that Matt had to do it. I felt stupid that I forgot, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I know I, uh... artists do it all the time. The uh, the last chapter of Bloody Hell is there's a, a lot of rain. It, there's a lot uh-huh. of rain, and uh, I did ninety eight percent of it in, yeah. in uh, on myself. Yeah. And Russ, my colorist, I think threw a cup uh, threw a bit in there on top, just like layering wise for when he was doing his colors. Uh-huh. But uh, I, I sent him an email at some point. I was just asking him how it was going. He's like, "It's good. It's uh, there's a lot of rain in these pages." I'm like, "Yep, <laughs> yep, that's what it was like." Yeah. You know, for them, they probably prefer, dude, can you not just draw the rain on top of everything? Can yes. You just let yeah. me. I have a, it's going to take me two seconds. Seriously. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that you're all punk rock and hardcore and you like to do it old school or whatever. But seriously, man, I don't want to be here another eight hours rendering around your fucking raindrops. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> any Yeah. Anytime you start putting splashes on stuff, that's like minute detail that needs to be uh, attended to. Yeah. And I'm, sure, I'm sure it's yeah. a pain in the ass, but... It, it yeah. looks good when it's all said and done. It's, I mean, I'm, it's hard to color people like you and me because we work against a colorist, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, normally you close your shapes. You know, if you're drawing a guy's hand, you don't leave open lines. You don't break the surrounding line. You close them. Mm-hmm. So you can, the colorist can select the hand shape and fill it in with skin color. And, you know, you uh, some special effects or ripple effects, whatever they are, are just better off left to the colorist. Um, right, like I right. get that there's a there are color friendly artists in comics, and I know I'm not one of them. Yeah. So either people love working with me or they hate it because it's <laughs> like God. Sean didn't leave me anything fun. There's no big open shapes for me to render. Sean like scribbles in everything. Like all I'm doing is flatting here, basically, you know, because Sean did most of the rendering that these the pants and the legs need or whatever it is, you know. Yeah, I uh, there's it's there's an interesting um, variation of that stuff in Bloody Hell actually because there's some. Some stuff that that is requires a lot of fine tuned detail, and then there's yeah. a few panels where it's like a it's like a long shot of a boat in the water surrounded by fog and like the 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 suggestion of a mountain, and yeah. it's it's all atmospherics. And Russ just mm. like when I when I drew that stuff, I was like, eh, there's a possibility this isn't going to work. And then he just mm-hmm. he made it, he knocked it out of the park. He made it all look fantastic. Yeah, yeah, that's hard. Leaving stuff open and hoping the colorist can make it work, you know. Yeah, yeah, he he, he did it's like a great letting job. go of the, the the steering wheel and letting them drive, which I it's it's hard for me to do. Yeah, but yeah, I'm glad that Russ. Yeah, what I saw of his page just looks really good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, to finally seeing yeah. it all together in, in one in one place. Um, there's this colorist in sorry one thing. Uh, yeah. There's this colorist in South America named uh, Marte Gracia Gracia. I think he's in Brazil. And a uh, super talented colorist. He did Marvel stuff. And uh, he's one of those colorists that his style just jumps out at me because he renders the fuck out of clothing mm. and wrinkles and stuff. Like, he just finds shapes, and it's just amazing. And um, I uh, asked him once to color. Uh, I was doing the Wolverine ABCs. Oh, and sure. I drew, uh, I think it was like the letter W or something, where I drew uh, 
uh, Sabretooth, Logan, and Maverick. And uh, I love his stuff, but seeing it on my stuff, it just didn't work as mm. right. Because I render all my own wrinkles and clothes. Like, there's nothing, the thing that I like about his art, I didn't allow him to do by the nature of how I draw, you know? Yeah. There was a, but there was one uh, elbow or kneecap that I didn't draw a lot of rendering on. And he rendered the fuck out of that because that's where he, like, finally I get to do my thing, you know? <laughs> but I imagine um, he was kind of bummed out when he realized coloring me wouldn't allow him to do his shtick, mm-hmm. as it were, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's always interesting to see how, how certain colorists work better or yeah. worse on, on different, yeah. different artists and whatnot. Because it, it is... Yeah. It is... Uh, uh, it, it takes more consideration than I think a lot of people mm. really give it credit for. Oh yeah, um, matching. It can make or it can make or break what you did too. Oh, you know? absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Uh, in, I, in a way, you want it to be like uh, it should feel like the camera. The mentality when you shoot when you're shooting a movie, you don't want people to be aware of the camera. Mm-hmm. If they're not aware of the camera, then you've done your job. So, in the colorists, I've heard them say that too. If you're too focused on colors, then they haven't done their job. It's, it shouldn't even stand out. It should just tell the story and you shouldn't make a giant impact per se. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've had to, uh, to learn to, to let, let it go a little bit when it comes to colors over the years, because I, I, I don't know if you think this way, but when I, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you do cause we both work in black and white, but like, I'm, I'm not necessarily thinking about color as I'm doing it. I'm more focused on, I, I'm, I'm thinking about the coloring process. Like I know that's going to happen, but I'm not super uh. thinking about like palette choices and stuff. Because yeah. I'm drawing for black and white. Black and white mm-hmm. is the way that I prefer it to look. And right. so early on when I was working, I would get these colors back and I would just be like, oh, this is not what I – like it's just I, – yeah. I, I, I don't know what I was thinking about, but it's not this. And yeah. it's there's a certain certain level of control you do have to let go of where it's like, okay, I mean it looks, it looks mm-hmm. good. It's not what I was thinking, yeah. but it works. So let's just go with it. The, yeah. bl- it, the black and white version is, is going to be my version. The color version is going to be everybody yeah. else's. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do try to think about that stuff. Like uh, if I'm drawing a fire in a forest, you've got red and green, which can be, if you're not careful, it could look like Christmas colors. Mm-hmm. Um, or you have a character who's in red and he's against the green background. I'll try to be aware, like, all right, if I put the, his shoulder pad in the camera half of this panel is going to be red mm. and everything in the background is going to be green. So I should either show more of his shoulder and less of the green or the other way. Like I try to be aware of what colors are going to be touching which spots. And there's no way to do it perfectly. Like you're going to have color conflicts, but I do try to be aware to make the color, the colorist's job easier. So he's like, man, you drew a green character right in front of the green tree in the background. <laughs> like why couldn't you move him over in front of the brown building so the greens wouldn't clash, you know? Yeah, well, that's why you that's why you put enough lighting on him that you can be like, well, maybe there's like a blue light coming in from the side that's going to change the color <laughs> of that green to a little bit more, you know. Yeah. yeah. I will say too, um, this is an artist tip. When you're designing a character, uh, he should look, he or she should look good from the full body shot. But I think you should also pay particular attention to his head, neck, and shoulders. Mm. Because when you start doing uh, talking heads panels, inevitably you're going to have a close-up of a guy talking. There should be some details on him that look cool. So don't design the fuck out of his shoulders. So try, I'm sorry, don't design the fuck out of his like uh, belt. Try to draw something around his chest and neck that would also look cool for those inevitable shots. Mm. 
like uh, you know, an easy one is like if a guy's wearing a suit. Well, give him an interesting tie. So even if you, so when you're doing a close up uh, of him talking, you're not just drawing a guy like a white guy who's flesh with a brown suit. That's boring. There's nothing there to grab you. There's no cool color there. But if he's wearing a really interesting tie, you can get a peek of the top of the tie, and now you've got an interesting colored panel. If that makes sense. Yeah. No. You know? That's 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 great advice. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for me, I'm terrible. That's what that's one of the things that I've never I have yet to really get a grasp on that I'm happy with is character design. I always, every time yeah. I have to design characters, I'm like, ah, this'll do. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, as far no, as we managed to get more out of this episode than we thought. I know, yeah. <laughs> as far as drawing stuff for this one, like, yeah, I kind of similarly, the only thing that I could really grasp onto was their lair was kind of cool with that giant yeah. teddy bear and stuff. Apparently, apparently, Baby Doll used all the money she saved from working at the hotel to swing by uh, the brand manager's place to get some <laughs> electroshock dart guns and exploding alligator yeah. toys and a giant teddy bear and whatnot. And yeah. She didn't have that much money, so all she could affair yeah. all she could afford was the sewer lair. Not many villains want the sewer lair, yeah. but what? <laughs> <laughs> what Brandon didn't know is that's exactly what she wanted because she was shacking up with Kara yeah. Croc. So worked you know, out funny. for everybody. The relationship, the relationship with uh, the brand manager and Killer Croc has always been tenuous because <laughs> he doesn't have many things that he needs. He's just a yeah. guy who's shaped like an alligator, and you know the brand manager is like stocking up on one day. The alligator is going to need some cool alligator shit. But he's not walking into the store and buying anything. So there's sort of like this weird standoff between the two of them. Yeah, every every time he walks in, Brandon gets excited, but then Croc's like, "Do you have pants?" And Brandon's like, "Oh, you came at you. All you want is pants. You came to me for pants. Get pants anywhere. Yeah, Um, my size. (laughs) I'm sorry. If I you want alligator pants, I've been get I've been saving up alligator pants. Like, please let me help you. I'll give you some stuff for free. Pants and a rope. I. I can't have you walk out of here without... People expect certain yeah, things makes, from me. It makes you and me, I are a natural pair. It makes me look terrible if you come in here and you just leave with another pair of awful pants. Yeah. Do you think... I mean, if Killer Croc was wearing, like, alligator skin pants, isn't that like you and me wearing a human flesh suit? Yes, it would be very much like that, yeah. Yeah. Very, very different character. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad they didn't go in that direction. Yeah, luckily, luckily, <laughs> snakeskin is extremely hard to animate. So, yeah, um, yeah, I think I think that's going to do it for for this one. Unless you have yeah, anything I'm else you want to talk about, I'm debating between a one or a two on this one. Yeah, I don't think I would go one. Uh, I think I'd go two because it's yeah, like it's I I don't think it's 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 a it's a fairly. It's just a it's a middling episode with a good concept, but like n- they don't do enough. Yeah. Usually, I can find the the upside of those kind of episodes to to give it at least mm. a three. But it's just they it feels like they they totally whiff on it on this one with, in a way that yeah. is um, disappointing. Yeah, and the nuclear uh, threat at the end is just like a yawn. I don't even care. Like I should care that Gotham's about to be destroyed, but yeah. like I actually care more when they when the uh, Firefly in the next episode dumps all this like napalm into the sewers and he's going to light it all on fire. Yeah, like, wh- that actually seemed like oh, okay, that's that's bad. Whether or not that's going to work is another question, but the the fact yeah. that he the idea is 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 bad. Yeah, and it's uh, the fact that they go <laughs> they go back to the well of 
let's have Batgirl defuse a bomb off screen. It just feels really mm-hmm. lazy, and it 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 feels like yeah. they did they like have more commercials or something with these? Did they have to cut five <laughs> minutes out of the script because they just seem so weirdly truncated? Yeah, because know, in man. this one, Killer Croc gets blasted by a, a steam pipe. And then yeah, like, just, all right, so how, <laughs> that's it. Explain that ending to me. I forgot about that. He did he do it? Did he pull the pipe knowing it was going to defuse the bomb or something? Was he trying to act heroic? Like what no. was his plan after, for grabbing that pipe? I think he wanted to hit Batman with the pipe, and then and he, he didn't know he, that that was a bad pipe to touch. Yeah, I guess he didn't know it was a a, a, a steam <laughs> pipe or something. And, and Batman responds. <laughs> Batman responds as though. He's reaching for the trigger to blow the city up. He's like, Croc, no! And then yeah. it just sprays him in the face with water and he falls over. Yeah, the end. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that scene is a one. That's yeah. for sure. The only other thing to mention in this one is uh, uh, both characters have new voices this time around. Baby Doll went from mm. Allison LaPlaca to Lorraine Newman, uh, former mm. SNL cast member from the original original group there. And uh, uh, Killer Croc goes from Aaron Kincaid to Brooks Gardner, who is yeah. uh, a, a, a name I do not recognize. Um, nope. yeah. I'm actually a little bit surprised that they didn't go, that they didn't just have Tara Strong do this, because this seems like right up her alley of a character she could probably do really well. Um, yeah. But I think this might have been early enough in her career where she wasn't the go-to for literally every character yet. So, Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that's going to do it for Love is a Croc. This episode oh, is a Croc. God. Am I right? Yeah. Oh. Hey, uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be back with Torch Song. Give it up for Destiny! My cheeks are hot. My lips are burning. The flames of love dance in my eyes. I've got just one. That's what a warning. Play with me, and you play with Torch Song, written by Rich Fogel, directed by Kurt Gaeta. In this one, a lovelorn pyrotechnic engineer, Garfield Linz, gets dumped by a big-time singer named Cassidy. Linz becomes the supervillain, the Firefly, bent on burning the woman who burned him. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is the first appearance of Firefly, who is... uh, I had never really looked up his history. It's it's pretty interesting. Uh, Oh, I don't know anything about it. It's interesting because it's silly. Um, in pre-crisis okay. DC continuity, Garfield Linz was a down-and-out special effects expert whose plan mm-hmm. to rob a theater by faking a fire was foiled by Batman and Robin. As Linz fled the scene, Batman mistook a distant firefly for Linz's lit cigarette and gave chase in the wrong direction. So let that sink in. Batman ran after a firefly because he thought it was a cigarette ember because Batman is an <laughs> idiot. Uh, Linz <laughs> saw this as a sign of fate and became the Firefly, a costume criminal who utilized various lighting effects and optical illusions during heist. So he was basically like shitty Mysterio originally. Mm. And I don't know how you have a character called Firefly whose deal isn't fire stuff. Yeah, It just... It seems like it's a it's a it's a longer walk to get to Firefly, the disgraced right. the disgraced optical illusion lighting effects technician, than it does Firefly, <laughs> the arsonist. 
But uh, after in uh, after Crisis on Infinite Earths, he was reimagined as a much darker and more violent character, with a backstory involving you know abusive parents and uh, being an orphan and then. Yep. Becoming oh, another orphan in Gotham. <laughs> yeah, d- d- becoming a, a a criminal, and and he started doing arson during his robberies, and then you know, et cetera, yep. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but yeah, where did he, where did he get the jetpack? I he a special at the at the brand manager's place, I guess. See, I I get him. He's a you mean like conceptually? You mean like conceptually, or like in the episode? In the well, both. Okay. But let's talk about the episode. Uh, like, I get him having a fire gun. I can see a fire, a special effects guy rigging that or grabbing a prop that he had that did that. And I'll even give the fire sword a pass. But, like, jet propulsion in aerodyne, like, that's a whole other ball game right there. <laughs> like, I want to know how the hell he... I thought they were going to have some explanation of, like... I don't even know what you would say. <laughs> they just sort of dismiss it. Like, yeah, whatever. He's a bad guy now. Bad guys get jetpacks. Right, yeah. Want? There's no real explanation of anything <laughs> for him. He's he's like, he's a, he works for Cassidy, and he likes fire. Is he is he her special effects guy? Is that the deal? I, I think I might have missed that, if that's the case. Yeah, Okay, I well, so. if not, it, it makes yep. sense if that's the case. Um, but yeah. yeah. She fires him at the beginning and uh, says, this will be your last concert. So the, seeing this guy's your life is in his hands. You pissed him off right before you went on stage. <laughs> I mean, not a good plan. Yeah, yeah. He and he knows where the fireballs are going to come up. Exactly. I mean, I wouldn't say she deserved it, but you know, <laughs> I would. I would hope not. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's it's one of those things where it's like it's, moves like this are kind of where the idea of the brand manager came from. Where it's like he's that would be yeah. Plan manager's like, uh, you, what do you feel about jetpacks? Yeah. It, uh, you got the fire. Why not the fly part? It seems like you need some kind of... I can't do the voice. I'm waiting for you to jump in here. <laughs> you want to be firefly, you got to have the fly part. You can't just be walking around in Chuck Taylor All-Stars. You got to have... You got to look the part. <laughs> I did notice the sneakers were pretty detailed for a cartoon. Fire, fly, <laughs> you're halfway there. That's why you come to me for the other part. You got the name. It works. You got the gimmick. But what you need is a highly combustible, uncontrollable (laughs) movement device that you should have no idea how to use, but you use very well. What do you think about Batman's fire suit? Uh, it's, (laughs) it's, I mean, it's a cool toy, but I mean, I'm watching this going like he puts on the fire suit and then I guess he can't move. Because uh, he's just walking down the stairway and he's just getting pelted by fire shit, and it's like you should. This shouldn't be like take. This shouldn't take over from the fact that you can like move quickly in our Batman. Uh, he does some summer. I mean, he does some maneuver. He's still athletic, acrobatic in that suit. Like there are some shots where he's still. It doesn't seem like it's. It's not like the Iron Man one suit. No, you know, no. it does. It did that whole thing. Did feel to me like Alfred knew. He had to use the suit so they could write it off on the taxes by the end of the tax year or something because it yeah. seems like more yeah. work than it's worth, honestly. I, could, I mean, for me, it was like, oh, they need more toys. Okay, right. And I, I'm, do, do I even see that action figure? It must have been out there. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool, it's, it's yeah. a cool look. It's like it's, uh, it's a, it's, it's kind of Batman Beyondy. And I think yeah. if I remember correctly, the coloring was blue, possibly. Or possibly gray. I can't remember which. It was black and either blue or gray. I forget. In this one, it was black and gray. 
Oh, okay. So um, I assume that's what the toy was. I don't know was. if it was blue in the cartoon. Yeah, I didn't love it. You had these big, lazy gauntlets and shoulder shin pads or whatever. It's just it's like when a little kid starts, I'm going to make up a superhero. This is generally what it comes up with. And it's like, nice job, kid, but you suck and you shouldn't. You shouldn't be drawing the uh, the toy. They they did do a toy of it in the new uh, series of toys that they did the last couple of years, and uh-huh. uh, it is it is blue. It's black and like a grayish blue, kind of like uh, Mister Freeze okay. colored sort of. Uh, yeah. Which I'll send you the picture. Hmm. Uh, it's actually it actually looks better as a toy, I think, than it does in the episode. Yeah, much like uh, my uh, Asbat action figure. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I, I'm kind of I'm a little bit surprised that you didn't really like that because it seems like the kind of stripped stripped no, back sort of uh, design that you would like. Yeah, it's just those lazy gauntlets and shin pads. I like the Mister Freeze gun. That was a nice touch. Yeah, I I was trying to parse out in in the uh, in the IMDb yeah. trivia. It it mentions it as being a gas gun that just that's incorrect. That looks yeah. like Mister Freeze's gun, but when I saw it, I was like, oh, I mean, it would make sense if it was Mister Freeze's gun because yeah, know, fire, ice. Although he does totally, yeah, he does have that gel that can burn through ice. Yeah, it's not going to be. I guess Batman didn't see that part. <laughs> um, yeah. O- overall, I like this. I like this episode a lot more than the last one. Um, yeah, I think it's an interesting introduction for Firefly. Firefly is legitimately creepy in this. In his obsession with the with Cassidy and the way that yeah. he talks to her, his plan is a little bit too yeah. too stock villainy for me. Where, yeah. like you're saying, he's just this guy who <laughs> now is a supervillain, and now along with his new suit and jetpack, he has a very supervillainy plan that he's yeah. going to pump yeah. the water supply full of this. Yeah anything burns chemical and then burn the entire city right. down i don't know like well, I, that yeah i like it i like it a lot more in scenes where like when um batman and batgirl go to his apartment and mm-hmm. the building catches like he they set off a not entirely dissimilar to the last episode actually uh where mm-hmm. they set off a trigger and and his in bu- his building explodes uh, i thought that was yeah. really cool i would have loved to have seen like a whole sequence of that in the burning building and stuff where they were had to yeah. figure out how to get out and whatnot but he blew up the bottom floor when they're on the top floor like i don't see why he why would you do that he just killed all your neighbors yeah well, it, about it, Batman? It, it looked like it was an abandoned building because the the bottom floor oh, okay. was like boarded up so i assume right. it was like oh, yeah. take it he was going to take the whole building down if he set the set the bomb oh, off okay. kind of thing you know, I, I, I Come on, like you're from suit. you're from New Hampshire. If you start a fire, you don't start at the top; you start at the bottom. <laughs> I didn't know if he was trying to crush crush the building or vaporize them instantly. Oh, sure. If you're trying sure. to vaporize them instantly, you would just blow up that floor. Um, but yeah, I was gonna say, like, I really like the Firefly suit. It, to me, it's like you know, the Rocketeer in in some ways, which I think is cool. Mm. Um, and when I saw that it was this episode, I got kind of excited. But as I was watching it, I'm just like. This does not hold up like I remember. Um, like I to skip to the end, I'm going to go a three on this, and I started thinking about what I would do to, to to move it up to a four. And I think for me, the 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 very end when Cassidy and her manager are getting uh, dinner, and uh, suddenly the waiter brings by a plate and lights it. It's like flambe, whatever, putting mm-hmm. flambe, and she sees the fire, and you can tell like it's changed her, like she's startled by it. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. Why not? I would have actually made her a little bit more of a bitch to him. 
Um, and so she's sort of like having to deal with the consequences of how she treated somebody. Mm-hmm. Like even though this guy is a villain who tried to take her life, I would make him more justified in being pissed at her. You know, like she used him somehow, and she thought she could get away with it because she's a superstar now. But uh, in this final scene, we see that she's affected forever by fire. You know, and her whole thing on stage is fire everything. So right. I don't know. I thought that having her be be more of a jerk to him at the beginning, to ju- not not to empathize with this guy a little bit more, might have helped. Um, yeah, I don't know about you. Yeah, I really liked that scene at the end. Um, it reminded me of the end of... Do you remember the movie Misery with James Caan? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, it, there's a there's a moment at the end after he's escaped from uh, being held prisoner by Annie Wilkes and having his legs broken oh. and stuff, where he's at dinner with his manager, and they do a very similar thing where I think the like the waitress comes over and he looks up and the waitresses is Annie or there's some sort of, there's some sort of trigger that uh, triggers this like PTSD that he had from the experience. And it's really effective. Mm -hmm. And I I think I like that here because very rarely in this show, do you get that kind of coda or epilogue Mm -hmm. moment where you see that any of this has affected anybody in any way, you know? Yeah. It's generally it's over like the last episode caught the bad guy end of the episode this one they catch the bad guy but you get to see how uh menacing this guy yeah. actually was uh yeah. which i think is really effective yeah are you gonna go four on this one you think i don't know i i mean so he he started off wanting to just kill her and then he sort of kidnapped her so his motivation just kept changing yeah um, i i don't think i would go four because if if we're yeah. looking at this in the in the grand scheme of the entire series, I yeah. don't think this is a four. I think it's a it's a good like solid down the middle episode. It's a good introduction yeah. of a new villain, even if his yeah. motivations are a little bit wonky. Um, yeah, <clears throat> but I don't think it's a must see. Yeah. Even though I do no. like the villain, <laughs> so it's yeah. I think I would He's probably gotta... go three on it. Yeah, because yeah, his... yeah. I want to like it more, but it's just not. They could have done a bit more with them. I like the suit a lot. And that's why it's not a two. <laughs> yeah, I think if they leaned into like we uh, for our our horror show, uh, horror podcast, Rotten Horror Picture Show, we just covered uh, the Invisible Man from twenty twenty, and yeah. th- the <clears throat> the genius of that movie is it took the concept and extrapolated it out into this really effective story about a woman escaping from a uh, abusive relationship and how mm-hmm. the invisible man is, while he, there is actually a man who is invisible causing havoc. There is also the kind of flip side metaphorical reading of it where it's, this yeah. person is always present <laughs> even if she, after she's escaped kind of thing. And it's right, always yeah. the stuff that he does is always affecting her. Even if he can't, she can't actually see him. And I yeah. feel like they could have, if this was less of a kid show, I think you could do mm-hmm. a lot more with that where yeah. his thing is is a lot more uh, uh, malicious towards her than, yeah. than they do. Because, yeah. yeah, she it's a weird, weird toss-up because I think you can go either way because, like you're saying, her character in the show is not the, the best person. She's a jerk yeah. to him. She's kind of <laughs> weirdly jerky and sexual to Batman when Batman shows yeah. up like she's not presented as as a super sympathetic character 
So I think right. you could yeah. go that way and make her even less so. Um, yeah. Or I think you could go the other way and make her more of a someone who is actively being uh, is the is the mm. result of a more like abusive relationship kind of thing. And Firefly is the yeah. embodiment of that. Right. Yeah. It's funny. Um, so for our Jason Todd book, you kind of had Firefly's the baddie, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I love that idea, but the artist we got, unfortunately, had done some Firefly work already in the past year. Like he did, he already did like a fresh redesign of the character mm. in the in the main line. So uh, I we kind of felt it was better to just give him somebody new, <laughs> not have him repeat himself. Sure, yeah. But I'm not sure. Like maybe because we had a bit in Todd where there's like possibly a destroyed neighborhood in a backport or whatever. Mm-hmm. So Firefly makes sense, um, but I don't know if it matters to. Maybe we should have just had him use Firefly. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's. Uh, I think it works either way. Uh, given yeah. given what his role in the story is ultimately going to be, uh, yeah. Firefly Firefly makes more sense from a timeline standpoint. I think, mm-hmm. but um, as far as yeah. uh, it's the difference between. Uh, a lot of fire effects and a lot of ground destroying effects. So I guess it, it kind of depends on where yeah. you fall about that action wise. But well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm thinking like, are is a reader of White Knight going to know that? Oh yeah, I like this artist, but didn't he just draw Firefly? Like, is that going to be a thing in a reader's head mm. that might give them pause? And uh, maybe I'm reading into it too much. But my other thing was uh, asking the artist, "What do you want to do?" He seemed more interested in not drawing Firefly again. So. For the sake of, you know, pleasing the group, I'm like, all right, we can use somebody else. So um, do you want to name the character that we're using instead? Sure. Yeah, we're actually using Shriek, the uh, the yeah. Batman Batman Beyond villain. Yeah. And if we're getting into uh, the Beyond-ish timeline, then I feel like using this 48-pager or whatever as, a, you know, showing the time that's passed between Jason Todd then and now, it sort of makes sense that you would start seeing these Beyond villains sort of start appearing, you know? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Plus, you know, you got a bunch of destruction stuff, and the artist we have uh, is very digital artist, which is cool. And he's gonna—he's really good with those like special effects. All the stuff that I was complaining about, colorist doing this <laughs> guy is like the opposite. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because it looks really good, and I'm happy to have him. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny. I was actually thinking about it the other day uh, because I was, uh, uh, you know, mm-hmm. talk about things that doesn't really matter. I was like, well, if this is gonna be mostly in the past. Does Shriek yeah. make sense because he's a future villain? But then it occurred to me, yeah. I was like, well, this takes place in the past mostly. We could use literally any villain because it takes place before they all die. Yeah. So That's true. Yeah, you could have resurrected somebody. Yeah, but I think I think Shriek is <laughs> I think Shriek is probably the best way to go. Yeah. Because as soon as you add not that we're, you know, going off on a tangent, but I guess we already have. Uh as soon as you add for the story that we're telling, I think as soon as you add someone who's like a bigger name, that sort of takes the reins a bit, and right. that's not yeah. really what we're going for. Uh, yeah. We're focusing more on on yeah. the Jason Todd story, less on the yeah. villain. And if like if the Riddler shows up, it's like, well, the Riddler yeah. deserves a bigger platform than than this. Yeah, like the artist suggested Deathstroke. And I, I thought, well, that's going to be cool. I like Deathstroke's look a lot. And then you nixed it because you're like, he's going to take a lot of oxygen. It's going to take the, the air out of the room in a way. Like, I think we need a low-level version that won't hijack the story because 
you know, Deathstroke is such a presence that you can't just throw him into a, a story without some more, um, you know, <laughs> without some more context. Right, right. If you're going to do Deathstroke and White Knight, then do a spinoff series, Deathstroke, White Knight, and make it four issues. Like, that's the right way to handle Deathstroke. You don't just toss him into a story like this. <laughs> right, yeah. Like, if you wanted to do a, a Nightwing spinoff or something, Deathstroke would be great yeah. to use in that, yeah. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so we just want, we want sea level and below for this story. <laughs> Yeah, um, man, I'm going through the notes that you gave me for uh, my script, and uh, I was <clears throat> flattered that you were, because, so the stuff I'm doing for Beyond the White Knight, there's a lot of things I have to get through in the story, mm-hmm. and from the beginning, Clay was like, man, you got a lot of characters here, you got a lot of stuff you want to cover, and you only have eight issues to do it, like, you were definitely hesitant to see if there was a way for me to get all of this in without it feeling crammed. Mm-hmm. Um, which is definitely a concern that I shared. But when I got your notes back to say, like, I am impressed that you managed to fit all of this stuff into this story so far. (laughs) Yeah, I I hope that didn't come off as a backhanded compliment because I meant it it honestly. That When I read through the outline that you sent me, I was like, this works a lot better than I thought it was going to. Because like you said, there's so much stuff going on. You've got so much... I, hes- yeah. I hesitate to tell you this. Maybe I'll tell you this off air if I tell you at all. But there was one yeah. big note I was going to give you that I didn't because I knew there was no point in me giving it to you because it was kind of like a concept-breaking note. And uh-huh. uh, it, 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 it's not even worth thinking about, I don't think. But it was one of those things where it's like there's a lot going on here. Could it be slimmed uh-huh. down? Uh, unfortunately, the way I think to slim it down is is kind of defeats the purpose of doing the story. So let's not do that. So. Which which character would you cut out? Uh, Terry McGinnis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. Yeah, like I was um, I was gonna I wrote this like long paragraph explaining like I, I started with like I don't even know if I should tell you this because I know you're not gonna do it because it defeats the purpose of doing Batman Beyond. And then I wrote it out yeah, and I was like yeah. it's not even worth taking the time because it's yeah no I feel you man and that, that occurred to me as well. Um, if Batman's chasing down this guy who's stolen a Beyond suit. Um, Maybe we don't reveal who it is until the very end. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we'll, see, we'll have it be Terry, but you don't realize it's Terry. And instead, I flesh out Terry, like in issue two, I open it up with a flashback and Terry, this and that. Um, and I felt like if you're going to do Batman Beyond and him pass the torch, then you need to have Terry McGinnis. Right. Like, won't readers get pissed right. if you go all, if you make them read eight issues and Terry isn't in it, aren't they going to revolt? Yeah. Um, but he does take up a lot of extra space. And I know, like, if I wanted to cut. 20% of it out and leave myself more room for sexy splash pages. Terry is first on the chopping block, but I like branding wise, I need him. Exactly. Don't I? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Cause it's like what I was looking at the story you're trying to tell. And I'm like, there is yeah. so much that's already like primed to go with this stuff that yeah. these themes that you're talking about without yeah. adding Terry McGinnis into yeah. the mix. Like I, yeah. I think there's a way you could still do everything that that is yeah. without Terry, but get, gets everything else done. That would be more like yeah, more of a piece with everything that came before. But right. th- yeah, then you're losing Terry McGinnis, and yeah. I feel like that's people are as soon as you put Beyond in the title, it's like that's yeah. what people are coming to see, right? Yeah, yeah. You need there's yeah. Every story has a list of ten things that you that you need. I forget there was a director that said this. No, it was a. Uh, it was a uh, editor, um, a guy, really tall guy. He was editing in Marvel for a while. Jim Shooter? Jim Shooter, yeah. He said once, he was at a convention. He goes, every Spider-Man story, I think he was Spider-Man, 
you need to have a handful of things. You, they need to see Spider bite Peter Parker. He needs to generally be a kid. Mm-hmm. He kind of has to be single. Like, you can do what you want with the characters, but there is a Ten Commandments of Spider-Man that you just can't break. And there's, a, you know, a Ten Commandments for every character, like Batman. You know, like, you just have to check these boxes. You can do whatever you want outside, but these boxes have to be checked. Right. And if you don't check one, you better make a good, you may better find a good reason why. Um, yeah, and I never forgot that. But yeah, as far as this example with Batman Beyond, like, I, if I'm going to do a thing about Beyond, I'm pretty sure it has to be Terry McGinnis. Like, I, storytelling-wise, I agree with you, but marketing-wise, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. But no, it's funny. I thought the same thing, too. Yeah. Um, because there's so much that I want to... A reader wants to know, how does Batman escape from jail? He wants to know, how did Barbara become a cop and have a falling out with Dick? They want to know about, oh, yeah, what's Harley doing with these twins or whatever? You know, like, there's so many things that people want to know. Um, Then you introduce a brand new character. It's like, I don't want to read about a new guy. Mm -hmm. I want to see these other things get fleshed out. Oh, but it is Terry McGinnis. So, yeah, I guess I'm I'm willing to, you know, read about Terry for a little bit. The trick is to make him as compelling because he has to make up for lost time, you know, because all these other characters have a history in this universe now, whereas Terry's brand new. So. You know, I started out with like maybe he starts out at a cemetery or something. It's, that's very Batman, and I'm like, ah, eh, that's like too Batman. And I was trying to find a way to really pump him up quick to uh, make him as interesting as the other scenes are. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And same thing with powers too. Uh, he's such a, a sort of one-dimensional character in Batman Beyond. Um, I really wanted to give him more, um, you know, make him more dynamic and relatable. Uh, even though he's the villain, like the thing that I think I do well with White Knight is even the villains are empathetic. Like you don't 100% hate the villains. Uh, you kind of agree with them a little bit. And you don't 100% love the heroes. You kind of disagree with them a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, you mm-hmm. know, Batman White Knight is very gray in, in, a, in a way. Like none of the characters are 100% good or bad, which is what I think is interesting. So I wanted to find a way to make Derek Powers a little bit more dynamic, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. <clears throat> Yeah, I think it's gonna. I think uh, it's so gonna be spoilers, fun. by the way. Sorry, <laughs> that's all right. I, it, it's it's vague enough at this point that I don't think it's gonna ruin anything for for either story. Yeah, but. yeah. There's two big ones I don't want to spoil. And I think you know what they are. Um, like our, I was looking at the numbers for uh, the for 2017 when uh, Batman Volume Volume One came out, and um, we had issue one went through four printings. Um, our numbers dropped a little bit for issue two. And then they went up again for issue three. Mm-hmm. And usually when you're a comic book shop, you have to order three months out. So by the time they had to order issue three, they looked and realized, oh, shit, issue one and two. So we better up our orders. And most of the shops increased their orders by 10% on this book. That's awesome. And the reason that happened is you need really good endings on your book. And that series, every final page was like, oh, my God, I need to get the next one. And doing that actually helped correct the sales by bringing them back up. Uh, and that's when like word of mouth caught on. And with Curse of the White Knight, you know, I'm happy with that book, but there is not a cliffhanger ending as much in the first two issues. Mm. And I think that it, we didn't get that boost that we normally would have gotten. So for this series, I'm trying to make issue one as a killer ending, issue two as a killer ending, and then issue three starts to calm down a little bit. Like it's still a cliffhanger, but it's not as I'm not playing all my cards at once. Sure, you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. But getting the first two in there, like if any reader was questioning at all whether they should have waited for the trade or bought the floppies. When they get to the last pages of these first few issues, they will be glad that they are reading it right now. Yeah. This is my thinking. Well, I mean, that's that's 
it's sound reasoning, I would say. Yeah, it's, uh, you'd be surprised. My editor complains a lot about writers who don't write cliffhanger endings. Right. Like they're, yeah. it's just something that or or write a, a page turn uh, thing. You know, at the end of each page, you have a reason to want to keep flipping. Like writers just don't think that way for some reason. I think, and and not to send this down a whole nother rabbit hole, but I, I bet we could probably talk about this for a while. But I I feel like yeah. the um, decompressed storytelling that has comics has turned into in the past 20 years or so has done a lot to that because kind of like the way that tv works now um when you start thinking of these stories as on tv they always say oh this isn't a television show it's a 10-hour movie that we broke into 10 spots Uh a lot of times that kind of storytelling lends itself to fewer page turn quote-unquote page turn moments that you get at the end yeah. of each uh episode right so it feels a little bit like meandering and it doesn't leave you with that much of a hook to get you back into the store there's other there's the yeah. flip side of that which is like the walking dead version which is a bunch uh-huh. of garbage for an episode and then one really important thing to just to get you to come back for the next episode and sit through more yeah. garbage and then something another crazy thing happens so there's like <laughs> there's two extremes to it but yeah. I think, yeah, one of the things that can get lost in, in comic stories these days where there are there's so many long term stories like there's there's very f- a lot fewer like two or four issue stories happening. It's a lot of like mm-hmm. we're doing 12 issues. It's going to be this year long arc in X, Y and Z. You can kind of forget, yeah. I think, that you need to have beats like that to keep people coming back. Because especially now with all the competition out there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you're not ending your issue with some sort of spike, you know, some sort of dopamine yeah. spike, then I don't really know what to tell you. That's that's kind of yeah basic. Like your reader isn't just buying Batman. You can't just expect them to stick around because they like Batman and Batman's exciting enough. Like I imagine my reader is sitting reading a comic and next to him is a PlayStation and a Nintendo Switch. Right. And uh, his laptop and his phone and these other things that he could easily be doing the minute he puts down my comic. And my goal is to get him or her to say, screw that, I need to go read issue two. Like, I'm competing against these other media that are that have sound, they have, it's fun, it's engaging, it's uh, less expensive <laughs> than comics yeah. in some ways, mm-hmm. certainly some Steam games. Um, that's what we're up against. So I imagine like I need to hold this guy's attention as long as I can. And I know, I feel like it's a losing battle because eventually, you know, PlayStation is going to win um, or big Marvel movie or Star Wars movie is going to win. But if I can hold his attention for a little while and really give him a reason, like, man, I was going to spend five bucks on another Steam game, but I think I'm going to buy the next issue of this comic. Like, it's a lofty goal and it's almost fucking impossible now because people are so distracted. Yeah, yeah. But... Yeah, I don't take it for granted that they're necessarily going to stick around. Yeah, I've I, I know I've mentioned this before, but when I was doing my uh, my web comic Dead Meat, um, I kind of started thinking about things down to the single page because it's like if you I was uploading a page a week on on the website, and I started mm. thinking I was like, man, if you're doing a page a week, you can't. Not only do you have to think about story cliffhangers at the end of a chapter, but you need to basically think of every page as its own mini story that ends in a, in a place that it's going to make people want to turn the page or make make them want to come back next week for the next installment. And yeah. it's really, I mean, that's like 
a minute level of it that gets really difficult. Mm-hmm. That's why you end up having like the Phantom comic in the newspaper where it's like two panels that don't make any sense because it's <laughs> yeah. paying off something that happened last week and setting up something that's going to yeah. happen next week in the span of two small boxes. Um, right. But yeah. it's like you 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 have to think about your story uh on a on a minute level like that sometimes in order to really maximize it you can get too into the week like it's it's really difficult to do that when you're doing like a graphic novel or Mm -hmm. at some points even even a a single issue it's like all right it it, it takes a lot of planning and a lot of thinking about what's going to happen and and Mm-hmm. How to make sure it doesn't feel hacky, where it's like every page doesn't end yeah. with some going "look out" or something like that, um, yeah. or somebody yeah. getting hit with something from off screen or some hacky right. shit like that. Or what I do is, um, with dialogue, I'll have the last panel be a character asking a question. Oh, sure, and it yeah. won't be answered until panel one of the next page. I, if I can do that in any way, I, I usually try. Yeah, that's or smart. Yeah. have a look out or a, you know cliffhanger suspense every single page. There is a way to do that. I'm convinced. Like, it's not always going to be easy to find those solutions, but you have to try. Right, right. And, uh, I mean, I'm, people say they liked White Knight because I was writing for the issues and not writing for the trade. I, I don't know what writers out there, like, does that mean you're allowed to be boring for a bunch of issues before there's a payoff? <laughs> because, like, I don't, that doesn't make sense to me these days, especially with people's shorter attention spans, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like, wouldn't you always be writing for the issues? And can't you do both at the same time, by the way? I mean, you're basically writing a chapter at a time. Don't you want people to be anxious to get to the next chapter? I mean, I don't get what that mentality is. And I know a lot of huge writers who are really well-known, like, you know, Grant Morrison and Neil Gaiman, they would probably disagree with me and say, you know, you don't always have to have a cliffhanger ending. Sometimes a slow burn and letting readers earn it is a better payoff. Like, maybe they're right. I'm just going for the cheap and next week type yeah, of gag. I, I don't, you know, like I don't have security in my own writing or something. I don't think it has to be like a cliffhanger, like a car going off a literal cliff or anything. But yeah. I, I think there's got to be something there, that, like whether it's a new idea or a, or a question like you're saying or something something that yeah. just gives you that spike to be like, ooh, yeah, I'd like to know what this is going to mean. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems fucking obvious to me, but there's a lot of writers who disagree with that. So Yeah. Well, you know, I, know. <laughs> I, I guess it depends on... Well, the thing is, too, you and I approach writing from a screenplay sort of mentality where you generally have 90 minutes to tell a movie. We go with the three-act structure. You have a turn in scene one, sorry, uh, act one, where there's the initial incident and whatever. Like, we generally think of movies, and story. we generally think of stories through the lens of movies, mm. whereas I think a guy like Neil Gaiman thinks of prose. Sure. Yeah. So he's not as much into cliffhangers and stuff because people he's going to write 600 pages. You know, he doesn't need to think about keep, like people are committed to that book already. Right. Like this, what are right. they going to do? Make you every single fucking page is going to have a thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, obviously, there's no uh, neither one of those ways is is wrong because he's a very successful comic book writer. So it's true. Yeah. Uh, well, we're, well he, he's wrong. And I'm right. Uh, of, so co- of course. That, I agree yeah, completely. Of course, yes. <laughs> um, hey, um, sort of going off a tangent again. What do you think about creators using comics to leapfrog into Hollywood? Um, do you think that a lot of creators are trying to get to Hollywood with comics, or do you think that they want that cap in their feather? And they like, what do you think the motivation is when you hear about creators trying to get into Hollywood? Uh, making more money because it's just money. I, well, I mean, I it's it seems like. 
I mean, if you're if you're a writer and you're a comic yeah. book writer, what's the next step? Where do you go from there? Do you stay in comics or do you try to move up to yeah. a different thing? You know, where you could do screenplay right. writing or maybe writing for TV or something. It's I, I I feel honestly, I feel like it doesn't happen that often. Frankly, I no. think it happens the I, other way a lot. I think a lot of times people come from <clears throat> movies to comics, but the yeah. number of comic book writers I can think of that started yeah. writing movies and TV, I can count on one hand, basically. Right. I think that it's there's an illusion of grandeur going on here. Um, you know, and I, I, I know I sound jaded, but I've gone through the uh, Hollywood machine twice, uh, maybe even a third time coming up now. Where, uh, I said this before, but if this all takes place in California, where I'm not at. And I don't want to get on a flight and try to control my properties. Mm-hmm. They, they pay for these things. They own it. They, they tell me, they can, I can try to get into a meeting where they're going to tell me to go fuck myself. That's just how it works. That's the contract I signed. That's what it means to get paid for an option. That's what it means uh, to take a buyout or whatever it is. Um, and I realized I can't control things that happen in Hollywood. I can't control when the president of NBC quits. And uh, the new guy comes in, he decides just to flush everything down the toilet that the previous guy had. Right. I can't control when an actor has a baby and can't be committed to a project anymore. Like, uh, And I'm not necessarily a control freak. It's just that I can't think about that stuff. I can't think about red carpet events. I can't think about the, the schmoozing or the fame or the, the ego, whatever it is. Like, I'm a guy who's good at sitting alone in a room and putting out projects. And like, for me, publishing is where it's at. I don't. If they make a Hollywood thing out of one of my IPs, great. But I, it's not really what I'm gunning for. Mm-hmm. And my sense is a lot of creators are not like me and maybe not like you. They are very much, they have eyes on Hollywood. And it's not just about money. I think it's about fame and success and like being able to like stand on a, a movie set of a book that you wrote. It's like, you know, on their, their bucket list or something. I think there's a big ego motive going on too. And I just feel like, it's a little delusional, don't you think? I mean, how many of us, like you said, have actually made it? Uh, you know, even Mike Mignola, who had Hellboy movies, like, you know, I think he's wired like me. He doesn't want to get involved with that shit either. Mm-hmm. Like, he's happy to kind of control it, but he knows what it is, you know? <laughs> hey, man, don't sell me short. I'm, I'm looking to sell out at the first possibility. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, well, I mean, I mean, think about I, I think, yeah, that might be an element to it, but if, if you think of it like look at it from an artist standpoint if someone's drawing comics yeah. making however many dollars doing that and then they get some storyboard jobs which pays twice mm-hmm. as much for half as amount of work or something you know it's it's yeah it's not yeah. necessarily it doesn't necessarily have to be a fame thing it could just be a uh what's the next step yeah. in advancing my career how do i work smarter not harder kind yeah. of thing you know not yeah. that not that there's anything easy about doing storyboards or yeah. writing movies because it's yeah. clearly very hard but yeah. I mean, uh, I was talking to Todd McFarlane about this once and I said, uh, like, Todd, what am I doing wrong? Uh, like, I feel like I've made the pretty great decisions in my career. I, I don't regret many moves and I, I've obviously sort of done a lot mm-hmm. and made it to the top in some ways. Um, and uh, I said, what, but if you had to look back on what I've done, is there anything I missed? Like, what, what did I you know any mistakes i made or whatever like what am i doing wrong like even if i'm doing everything right i still want to know what you know and he said um the, your problem is that you're you've you're at the top of the ceiling in comics right. like there's only a, there's a limited ceiling and you're at it so if you want to get bigger you have to get outside of comics right 
which is why I got into movies and uh, action figures and stuff like that. It's like it's a very small. The bar is not that high in comics. You know, right, once you bump right. your head, you know what do you expect? This is it, kid. You know, so if you want more out of this, then you need to start looking elsewhere. Yeah, like would you would you continue to draw comics if you could get paid? the same amount that you get to draw Batman, maybe slightly more to do storyboards or concept art for movies. That would be like maybe half, maybe three quarters of the amount of work. No, I'd rather do what I'm doing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause I can write this. I'm not writing those scripts. Sure. You know, sure. I'm in a project. I don't like, uh, no one sees my work at that point. Yeah. Uh, you don't get to you don't get appreciated the same so way. So you do want the fame, is what you're saying? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> is there a non-arrogant way for me to say? I mean, I say a lot of arrogant things on this podcast. Already. <laughs> now, now you're now you're drifting into Garth from Wayne's World territory, where they do the product placement <laughs> bit, where he's sitting there in the Reebok suit, and he's like, "Some people just you know don't have any credibility and just sell out." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, because I'm off social media now. I feel very disconnected from comics, sure. so I'm not sure if there's a lot of creators who sincerely want to get into Hollywood, or if they're all just fooling themselves. Or well, you maybe know, most of them are low key, like us. You know? I, I think it's it's one of those things where, like, if it, it's it's not. I don't think it's something people don't want to do because i mean it like it like i said it it probably means a pay bump in some sense it means a uh yep. visibility bump which hopefully translates yeah. into uh better sales or or more work or something <laughs> in whatever you're doing even though that yeah. doesn't seem to be the case um yeah, yeah it's i i, I it is I, I don't think it should be shunned but yeah i don't know if it's something that that it, it yeah like I would be lying if I said I I wouldn't be thrilled if something I did was turned into a movie, you know, or a mm. TV show or whatever. But I don't. Mm. That's not for me anyway. The end game. That's not why I do what I'm doing. Um, yeah. And I, I I do wonder if 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 you do it that way, if you're kind of chasing chasing a, a dragon, you're never going to catch. You know, you just yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we've got uh, screenwriters. Um, well, the one of the options we have is. Uh, um, I don't think this one's been announced, but the writer is like, oh yeah, I'm going to definitely write the script for this movie. And I'm just like, yeah, the first draft, <laughs> Yeah. but don't you know, they're going to, they don't care about comic book writers or artists, by the way. Sure. They want the, the IP, sure. you know, like we're lucky to be this far. I, I don't see them. They're going to bring in real screenwriters who have a track record that, you know, people, they need to show the producers, the money people hey, here's a big name who wrote this movie. Here's the sales of that movie. So we have that guy write this movie. We're going to get our investment back. You don't just go, well, you know, the guy who wrote the comic really wants to write it, so we should just give it to him. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it would mean a lot to him. Because they're going to say, okay, but what is he going to sell? Like, I mean, it just doesn't make... there. And as you know, there's like 20 different writers for every script, generally anyway, as they get packed, passed around and script doctored or whatever it is. Um, the idea of a comic book writer thinking that Hollywood is actually going to let him write the final version of a script, a screenplay is insane to me, but Hey, maybe I'm wrong. Mm. I don't know. Well, (laughs) see, I think the secret is the real, the real money, the real goal is if they make a, a, they make a movie out of your comic, Mm -hmm. it makes a lot of money, but it's also terrible 
because that way yeah. you get more press by just trashing it all the time. So you're still yeah. you're still cashing the checks you're getting from the royalties because it made two hundred million dollars at the box office or whatever. But you're also yeah. online going like this was garbage. You all guys are all right to think so. <laughs> Let me tell you all the reasons why it was garbage. I listen. That's what I'm looking forward to. I could podcast for the next twenty five years of my life if I got to do that. Yeah. Finally, if you did, finally if get to, a, re- to wreck somebody, uh, wreck my own project <laughs> instead of somebody else's. If they made a bloody hell movie and you thought it was terrible, would you say it or would you just play the game for a bit? Um, I I honestly don't know. I think I think after a certain point I would stop playing the game, but until yeah until it came out, I would probably yeah you know pre- push it yeah. as much as I could. Yeah, like, you know, you know, you don't like, want to tell people not to go. I always wondered that <laughs> all these press tours that anybody who's in any mo- movie does. There's always a part of me after I see the movie going like, how much pain must they have been in to do this press tour? Be like, you know, this was a great script. I really think what we're doing here is is really yeah. visionary in the genre. It's like, no, it's not. You, yeah. you know that this is terrible, but you gotta you gotta but, do yeah, it. It's part so of the I, game. I would love to see you forced in front of a camera being paid to say yeah i love this movie at first i didn't imagine the main character bloody hell would be played by roseanne barr but hey i'm open to suggestions uh, very happy (laughs) see i don't think you're as good at lying and spinning as i am I don't lie maliciously, but I, I can play it up, and I can work a room better. Uh, I can be entertaining to a lot of strangers and, and hold court. Like I can kind of do that. I don't know if you want to do that for your own <laughs> for your own product. Product. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Let's see how many how many dollars are at stake the next time I have to do it. We'll, we'll talk then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, I mean, I, there's. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. We should probably. <laughs> I think you're wrap too up. genuine, and you would you'd be tempted to be honest and be like. You'd be like John John Carpenter, I think. I, I try to keep it real. I feel like my response would be, you know, it is so awesome to see <laughs> all of that stuff that I created on the big screen, dot, dot, dot. Right. right. I probably would have done it differently, dot, dot, dot. Uh-huh. But it's still, yeah. it's still great to see it come to life. Yeah, yeah. Or you just move on like, oh, my God, these actors are great and they work so hard and it's so exciting to see. The, you can lean into the truths without actually saying the movie sucks. Yeah. But yeah. I feel like people that are in no will see right through you, you know? That's fine. Like, that's code for, I hated Roseanne Barr in my movie. Listen, I thought she did a great job. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> oh, last, last thing about this actual episode that I thought was creepy was when Batgirl saves the day uh, and Bruce looks up and says, good girl. Yeah, that was, that was pretty pretty weird. Yeah, and him being on a date, going to a Taylor Swift concert is weird. Yeah, at the beginning. You know what's fun about that actually? <laughs> so the the girl who does the voice of his date is mm-hmm. uh, Jane Weidlin, Weidlin from the Go Go's, uh-huh. who also Whoa. played Joan of Arc in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Oh, but you wouldn't recognize that's... her voice from that because Joan of Arc has no lines. I didn't know that chick was a musician. I, yeah. I always had a crush on Joan of Arc. I thought, like, man, this girl's... She was, like, Winona Ryder hot, but more off the radar, mm-hmm. I thought. You know? Yeah, she was... Uh, I think she was the guitar player in the Go-Go's. 
Oh man, that's awesome. I love it when uh, musicians uh, try acting and they're actually better at it than most actors. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I love like a lot of the people in the Johnny Cash movie with River Phoenix were actually just musicians who happened to be amazing actors all of a sudden. Right. Yes. <laughs> you know? And I love it when actors try to become musicians and they're terrible at it. It's a nice balancing. Act. I know. It doesn't usually work the other way, does it? No. Johnny Depp. No. Anyway, but we won't go into all that stuff. Um, Russell Crowe. Well, uh, oh, the other thing I would like to, to mention, and I'm sure if you're still listening to this podcast at this point, it's because you're wondering whether or not I was going to bring this up. Uh, Firelit Batman doesn't look as good oh, yeah. in this series as it did in the last one. It's just He's just gray. They just made everybody gray. Yeah, I totally missed that. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's not, there's nothing really interesting yeah. there going on i i was disappointed because i thought firefly yeah. maybe we'll get some firelit batman but unfortunately not but it's not just batman that's lit you have to light the whole scene for it him to be correct right yeah you know? and i don't think they did that yeah as much because uh, in the you know, gray ghost that episode everything was orange oh, yeah and, and gray like everything was and that's why firelit batman looked good because yeah. everything around him looked good Unbelievable. That, you know yeah uh what would you what would you draw <laughs> on this episode uh i might take a crack at the um Firefly costume, mm-hmm. maybe tweak it a little bit. Um, I might redesign the jetpack a bit. Like the parts, the wings that fold out aren't even bent back. They're not even aerodynamic. It looks like yeah. a trash can yes. with two pieces of cardboard sprayed gray. Yeah, I, I think I, I think I'm probably thinking uh, the same thing. Um, although yeah. I do, I do think doing a scene, a longer scene where Batman and Batgirl have to escape that burning building would have been cool. Um, yeah. Oh. There's a scene where he falls from a building and his batarang thing breaks or something. Mm-hmm. Was that this episode or the other one? Uh, I f- but he grabs his cape. He sort of floats over to a different building yeah. and manages to fall on the awning and survive. And it reminded me, I had a one-shot story I wanted to pitch years ago. Uh, it was a silent comic of Batman. And he's chasing a criminal and he misjudges how far of a leap it is and he falls. <laughs> And everything goes wrong in the next 22 pages as he's like, you know, he grabs a window and someone shuts the window on his fingers. So he falls down another two stories and then he uses the batarang and the, some a bird like, you know, moves it or something. And he's just like, God damn it. It's like there's nothing's going his way. And by the end of it, the last page, he finally is only two stores, stories down and he lets go and he lands in a dump truck. And it's just that's the whole story. Nice. Just that, <laughs> one wrong. Movie, you, know, you know, that would be a fantastic uh, Batman black and white story. <clears throat> yeah. I I wanted to pitch it the first time when I did Batman Black and White, and uh, I pitched another one where Bruce gets a gun and just goes and kills everybody and solves <laughs> his problems like that way. Of course way. you did. Do you remember that? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yo, this guy rejected. My editor was actually, I think he was mad at me. Yeah. yeah. It was like, it was a joke, and I, and I was serious about doing it, but I'm like, this is going to be great. So it starts off, and he's like, you know what, Alfred spending years doing this. I know I've been avoiding. He's like standing over two handguns looking at him and he's like fretting on what to do. He's like, you know what? Maybe I've been wrong this whole time. You know what? I decided I've been doing this long enough. You know what? Fuck it. So it's basically seven pages of him going around and murdering all the villains. Mm -hmm. And he's got like a clever one-liner for each one. So he shoots Harvey Dunn. He's like, here's a bullet for you, Harvey. Bam. And one for you too, Two-Face. Bam. And then he goes to Catwoman like, see you later, slut. Bam. I mean, it's not even that clever. 
and it's just him going on a massacre. And at the very end, uh, he takes the photo of his, the the painting of his parents down. You know that big scary painting over the fireplace that reminds him of his guilt. Mm-hmm. He just like throws that in the bin. I'm like, I'm done with guilt, and he just is happy at the end of it. Like maybe Batman's problems would be solved if he just grabbed a gun and just murdered all, <laughs> all the villains. You could just call it a day. And um, I know that that violates everything about Batman, but it was a joke. Like I was gonna do it, but it was I was playing it up for humor. Mm-hmm. And my editor is like, um, is this real? And I was like, yeah, man, I think this would be a funny pager. And uh, he's like, okay, first of all, brilliant. Second of all, we can never do this. And uh, I need you to take this seriously now. So I was like, okay. And um, yeah, that was Mark Doyle. And I think at that point he thought, Sean should never write Batman. He's not even taking it seriously. <laughs> well, it only so we got John Arcudi to write it for me, and he wrote a whole story. But yeah, it would have been a good one if if I had just pitched him. What if Batman's falling down a building for eight pages? <laughs> yeah, I guess that was that before you heard the thing about there's ten things about Batman that you can't ever change. <laughs> yeah, no, I broke all ten of them, and that was the point of right. it. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you you eventually got to have Batman go on a killing spree in Curse of the Night, so it all comes around. I guess. Man, I've been so predictable my whole career. I didn't realize it. Here I thought I was, you know, breaking new ground, and uh, you could have read the tea leaves years ago. Um. Anyway, on that note, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think we already rated it. We both give it a three. Yep. And uh, I think yeah, I think that's it for for Torch Song. Uh, cool. What's uh next time? Next time we are doing the ultimate thrill and over the edge, which uh, over the edge is is one mm. we've been looking forward to. So that's going to be oh, a, a fun one to do. Those are those are both good episodes, but uh, yeah, yeah, the ultimate thrill when the girl orgasms as there's a huge explosion. You'll, you'll get oh, there. it's get Roxy there, Roxy Rocket. Okay, <laughs> excellent. Oh yeah. Uh, cool. Yeah, I, is it is that her first appearance? Has she been in the show before this point? I can't remember. I believe it's her first appearance. Yeah. Uh, cool. Excellent. Not her last. Looking forward to those two. Uh, thank you guys for listening, and thank you, Sean, for joining me. Thanks for having me, man. Till next and, time. And we will see you next time. Bye.